Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody, one more time. My name is Dirk, preaching pastor here at Encounter Church. And I just wanted to highlight something that Bethany said in her next steps, that we are a phone-friendly church. And what that means is a couple of things. First of all, when I see that blue screen over your eyeballs, I just assume you're following along on uh, some Bible app like YouVersion. Uh, other great ways of connecting uh, with your phone in church is uh, by signing up for maybe a small group or a connecting opportunity that we just heard about. Um, we, we get the time stamp and staff, like we see what time you registered for things. And I just love it so much whenever it comes in, we celebrate like somebody who registered for something like right there in the moment. It's like, yes, love that engagement so much. Online giving, text-based giving, parents especially. I want to make sure that you know and you remember that um, we want to make sure that your kids are having an awesome time as well. And so those text alerts are going to come if case they're not, uh, to your phone. So make sure to check it a few times during worship to make sure that everybody is having a great worship experience. All right, today we're in a series continuing on called Dangerous Prayers. And remember last week we handed out those little square cards at the door. Hopefully everybody got one. If not, or if you're new, we've got cards for you sort of spread throughout the building. Go ahead and take one with these three dangerous prayers on them. They were search me, break me, and send me. And so last week at Search Me, we said, hey, ask God to search yourself and to see maybe there's something, maybe it's a trust thing, maybe it's an obedience thing. Ask God to show you what he sees in you. And what did he tell you? And I, and I mean that like not so much of a rhetorical way. Like, like we want to know how God is answering these dangerous prayers. So it could be on a connection card, one of those green ones in the box in the back, or phone-friendly, just email us right now, CuriousEncounterChurch.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life throughout this series. Today is the dangerous prayer of break me. And I just kind of want to give you a warning, a disclaimer on this, and say this is not one of the, one of the most fun, feel-good messages in the world. Uh, I know, it's shocking with a title like Break Me. It's so engaging and uplifting. Um, what we're doing here this morning is sort of rounding off this part of, of kind of Americanized Christianity where we, we, we don't like to focus on all the time. You see, sometimes our prayers are all about us, all about ourselves. And we pray for things like, keep me safe. Or we pray for things like a new job opportunity. Or God, bring someone into my life. Or maybe God, bring somebody new into my life. And today, we're asking for this simple two-word prayer to be broken. Break me. And it's not brokenness just for brokenness itself. It's brokenness for a purpose. There's something happens in those moments when we become at the end of ourselves and we have nothing left to offer. There's something significant that happens, these connections that get made. People will tell you that it's in these moments and these seasons of brokenness that their reliance upon God has never been greater. People will tell you that in those seasons of brokenness, their connection with another human being, with another person, has never been deeper. Uh, sometimes be one event that happened with brokenness or with struggle or with defeat or with weakness could connect people for years and years on end. I have this experience that I want to share with you. It's, uh, it was, comes from a camping trip. And some of you who have been around here for a while, you know that I love to hate on camping. Uh, the only reason why we do it is it makes the rest of life look like a vacation. I think it stems from this experience I'm about to share with you. I was, I was in college, so it was maybe two or three years ago. And uh, 
I went backpacking in George Washington National Forest, and it was, it was awesome. There was four of us. Two of us, two of the guys were very well prepared with the right gear, and two of us were not. So we're going up, we hike up on top of this mountain. We're like looking off day one. It's amazing. I got Virginia over here, West Virginia over here. It's just, it's just incredible. We camped out on the top of that bluff and the scenery. And then that night, we realized just how unprepared we were when it started thunderstorming, okay? And the rainfly, if we had one ever, it blew off immediately. But fortunately, the bottom of the tent was waterproof, so all of our stuff could just like float in there. We're marinating in our own gear, right? So the whole next day, we're walking around and we're like, squish, 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 squish through George Washington National Forest. We thought, well, that's fine. This stuff will eventually dry out. We'll bag a fire later tonight. It can't get worse than that. It can, because it's camping. It can always get worse. <laughs> that night, it didn't rain. No, because the temperature dropped to 15 degrees, it snowed a lot. And we had our water bottles outside the tent. Those froze solid. The ones we took inside with us had like sheets of ice cutting through. We didn't have those like those mattress or not mattress, those um, like the sleeping pads, like Tempur-Pedic things. Because we're like, you know what? We're tough guys. Like we thought it was just a comfort thing. We're like, you know, you guys, hey, you're fine. Okay, you use your little pads. We can sleep on God's earth. All right, we're not too good for that. I didn't know it provided this like barrier of insulation. So that night it was like sleeping on top of an iceberg. And the two of us, right, these two guys are just like climbing over each other, trying to be on the top to provide the other person could be that layer of insulation. Right? I've never cuddled with a man so much for so long <laughs> in that night. But the, the thing of it was, like all night long, right, just having this miserable, awful, struggling experience of defeat. It has been years. He's moved now to the East Coast. It's been years, uh, six, seven years since I've seen him. But it's like the connection that we made over this shared uh, awful experience, like was able to spend that time. So even though we haven't seen each other six or seven years, when he gets engaged last weekend, in case you're listening, uh, <laughs> he calls me. I just wanted you to know this event happened in my life. And this is the most personal that I could get. I wanted you to know over the phone because something happens in the moments of defeat, in weakness, in brokenness. We find this deeper connection than any other way. And so we're going to hear about that connection this morning that comes out of brokenness. We're also going to hear what God does with it when we offer it up to him. Listen to this story from Mark chapter 14. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn it on. Otherwise, uh, the chair, Bible's in the, under the chairs in front of you and the words are gonna be on the screen behind me. I wanna read it to you. It says this. Mark 14 verse one says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Real quick comment on that is two things. First, Jesus' stock at this point has never been higher. He's never had more followers. The other one is 
He has, the religious authority has never wanted him dead more than at this moment. And so they're like looking for this way. If you caught it, uh, there's a Passover time. It was only a couple days before. We're hovering around like Tuesday in the week. He had his last supper with his disciples on Thursday. He was crucified and, and suffered the punishment of sin of mankind on Friday on the cross. So I, like, I don't know about you, but those events in the last week of Jesus just seem uh, like the significance rises so much. Like he's, Jesus has to be so deliberate with his time. And I think what he's demonstrating to us right now is really going to be this profound moment of brokenness that he's in fact going to come back to this story only a couple days later at the Last Supper. But more on that in just a minute. Verse 3. While he was in Bethany, that's right outside Jerusalem, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. And I just want to pause there because I've preached on this one a bunch of times. Some of you were around. And you'll know, I've never called out Simon the leper before. We just sort of glossed over that, which is a bit strange because he's called Simon the leper. And it's sort of like, wait, what? Hang on. Let's talk about that guy for just a second. He was a leper? Uh, leprosy in Bible times, it's called out all over the place. It was a horrific disease, physically and emotionally. Physically, leprosy as a disease, it, your, your body would just essentially die starting with the extremities and kind of make its way in to the more critical organs where it would eventually take your life. It's horrible that way. Um, it was also horrible emotionally because it was thought to be very, very contagious. And so as you contracted leprosy, people didn't want to be around you. Your home was taken from you. Your friends left you. You, you were put outside, literally, outside of the city gate. Uh, sometimes in a colony, a leper's colony, where you'd just be in quarantine with some of the other people who were also dying. Physically and emotionally, it was a wretched disease. If you were a leper, you don't get to have dinner parties in your home. You don't even get to have your home in the city. So I'm wondering, like, what in the world is Jesus doing there? And we're going to find out there are other people present too. And another thing, why in the world do they call him Simon the leper? Like, how insulting is that? That they just, like, mock him that way or just make fun of him? I mean, is this, like, something that they did together? Like, there goes Simon the leper. And it's like, yeah, that's me. Oh, huh. like, I, I don't know. Like, where does that come from? I mean, it seems on the, on the right side like, like really, really cruel. And I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, about roughly maybe 15 years or so, my dad was diagnosed with skin cancer. And uh, he's fine now, thanks for asking. Um, but, but along that time, he, you know, fine now, but like at the time it was really scary. And like nobody would come up to him along the way and be like, oh, there goes Melanoma Martin. Like, like <laughs> people don't do that. <laughs> Nervous laughter, I get it. Like, yeah. it's mean. But, but yet here, it's like he's identified as Simon the leper. Listen, you don't do that. And you certainly, he doesn't get to have people in his home if he has leprosy. No, the significance of Simon in the story is not that he has leprosy. It's that he had leprosy. And then he met God. <laughs> Most scholars agree that he's called Simon the leper because he was outside the city gates. Uh, quarantined. And maybe he was by himself 
isolated, and Jesus came by. And Jesus miraculously heals him, restores his health back, gives him his life back. And this banquet that we see him holding is his thank you back to the God who saved him. His thank you to Jesus for giving him his life back. That's Simon the leper. Listen, as we're talking about brokenness this morning and what God does with it, I think it's critically important we get a few things right. The first one is that we ought to, we need to own our brokenness. Own your broken. I mean, that's what Simon did. Whenever anybody walked by him and they called him or they referred to him as Simon the leper, he's, yes, I am Simon the leper. Yes, I did have this disease. I was dying. And then I met Jesus and he gave me my life back. Simon for Simon to become Simon the leper, he has to own the fact that he was dying. He had to own his defeat, own his struggle, own his weakness, own you're broken. And Simon goes from just Simon to Simon the leper, who now gets to have a banquet for Jesus. Own your broken, but it doesn't just stay between you and God. Oftentimes, God has bigger plans for it. Listen to what happens next. He's not the only one at the dinner party. The next line says that a woman came with an alabaster jar. That's, uh, think of marble jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Um, it, was, it was estimated that the perfume cost somewhere around 25, maybe $30,000. Uh, it's marble, about this big. I'm guessing, I've got no idea. It had a long neck out of the top uh, of it because you were meant to just pour out a few drops at a time. She comes with this jar, you know, and, and we want to give her like the benefit of the doubt. Uh, social structure at the time, there was a few really, really rich people and a lot of very, very poor people. And so like, where did she get a jar of perfume that's $25,000, that's $30,000? That's a significant uh, leisure budgetary expense to cover especially for a poor person. Luke fills in the story in his gospel, and he refers to her very, um, very kindly, I think, for the time, and he refers to her as a sinful woman. Um, I think it's, it's, it's condemning on the outside, but uh, knowing Luke and, and his view of us, all of us are sinful people, and he's just sort of like lumping her in with a literal rest of humanity, except for he also is using that as a somewhat respectfully as he can coded language to also suggest she is a prostitute. And the reason why she has a perfume that costs twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 is this is a significant tool of her trade. Is that this is in a time, Bethany, just outside Jerusalem, as the city swelled massively in population for the Passover festival. The streets, even outside in Bethany nearby, became crowded. It was hot. There were animals. It was smelly. She would put on this very, very expensive perfume, stand outside, and, and her customers could smell her long before they could see her. I don't know why she shows up to Simon the leper's dinner party that day. I, I suspect that maybe she heard somewhere through. Maybe she knew Simon. I don't know. Um, I suspect that somewhere in the story, she found out that Simon was healed. 
And she has her own kind of restoration that she's looking after because nobody would choose that life in those times. It was, it was something she was forced into almost certainly. Like she felt like she had no other choice she could possibly make. Or, or maybe she heard the teachings of Jesus and the compassion that Jesus exuded and thought, surely this is a man. If he could give Simon his life back, he can give my life back to me as well. And so she takes her jar of perfume, owning her broken. She carries it to the party. And the next line, it says that she broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. She broke and she poured. She broke and poured, broke the jar and poured it out. I just have this idea in my mind. I don't know. Um, but like taking this thing and it's got this long stem, right? And she rushes in there because somebody's going to stop her if she hangs out too long. She's used to that life. And she takes her expensive perfume, right? And like smashes the top of it on the bar and then like pours it on top of Jesus. I don't know if that's biblical or not. I, I'm just kind of making it up. But it's just like it all happened super quick because everybody was really, really stunned. Usually you would add just a few dots uh, on top of, uh, you know, the neck or like wherever you're going to apply the perfume. No, she dumps it on. And what I love about this story is that as she breaks and pours, it's not just the perfume that's broken and poured out that day. Get my drift? Uh, like, like that perfume was the tool of her trade. That perfume to her represented her whole past. And when she breaks and pours, what she's doing is she's taking her past. She's taking her choices, her faults, the positions that maybe she was forced into, the disrespect the abuse, taking everything in her past and she's breaking and pouring it out and handing it to Jesus. So everybody in that room sees not only the woman that she is, the past that she has, but also the fact that she's surrendering it up to Jesus and saying, I've got these ugly shards of pieces in my life. I don't know what to do with them. Maybe you do. In terms for this morning, when we have the unique kind of broken in our life, we say, own your broken, but then also share your broken. Uh, one of the values around here that we describe it as is we do life together. Find a community. Maybe that's your small group. Maybe that's hiving off with one or two people in your small group. But do life together. Share your broken with, with somebody else because something mysterious, something even magical kind of happens in those moments where we break and pour, where we share our broken. Uh, Rick Warren in his book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, um, he writes and he says, you know, we can impress people from a distance. I would add, we could also impress people on Instagram or Facebook. We can impress people over social. We can impress people by the image that we, that we choose to present to the world. But he writes, if you want to influence people, you have to get up close, so close, in fact, that people can see your faults and people can see your fears and people can see your weakness and struggle, even defeat. People can see you're broken. He goes, the funny thing is, is that the area of our greatest ministry effectiveness often comes not from our successes. No, no, no. Our areas of greatest ministry effectiveness comes from our deepest hurts. Those areas in life that we're too embarrassed to share or too shame-filled to share, it's those deep hurts that God may be asking you not only to own, 
but also to share as other people connect. Um, uh, Simon, uh, in the story, you know, you guys know who really, really connects well with lepers, uh, people with contagious skin diseases outside uh, of the community in quarantine? Simon. He knows exactly what to say or when not to say anything at all. He knows what that life is like. He can walk in those shoes because he has walked in his shoes. His area of ministry effectiveness comes from the deepest hurt and the deepest broken in his life. You know who can connect with the other women and what they're forced into and the abuse that no doubt that they have undergone, and the judgment that they have no, no doubt experienced in their past. You know who connects with those people better than everybody? Is the woman who breaks and pours the perfume over Jesus. You have been broken. We all have. If you're not exactly sure how, I'd refer you back to the sermon last week and ask God to search you and know you, know your anxious thoughts. Know what separates you from him. We're all broken in some way. What God is asking you to do now is to show you, God, break me. Show me in my life just where it is where my ministry of greatest effectiveness is going to come from because I don't just want to impress people. I really, really, truly want to influence people with the kingdom. But it doesn't end there even. Not even after we own it, not even after we share it, it gets so much better than that because God does something with it. We own it, we share it, God glories in it. Listen to the rest of the story. Uh, verse four, finishing it out here, a few verses. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Don't judge them too much. You probably would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. Uh, but they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. And then this line we often misunderstand. The poor, will always, um, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But not always have me. She did what was good. Uh, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. That line in verse 7 about uh, the poor you'll always have with you, I just, like, it's not related to this at all. I just kind of have to call it out and say, this is not like an excuse to like not serve the poor. You can't look at the whole life and ministry of Jesus and think like, yeah, he really didn't care about the poor. Okay, look, we're not going to spend any more time on that because that's not the point of the story. Kind of going meta on the whole thing. Um, we're we're going to focus because Jesus focuses on the woman. Jesus focuses also on Simon and what God does with them. This is so cool. This is so amazing that I think only God could pull off. Um, people smelled back then. And people smell now today, but like showers were not so common back then. And, and you know when dudes, let's be honest, when you like do the Axe body spray thing and you like really musk up and 20 minutes later, it's gone. Like no, there's no other aroma. And so you like have to just reapply all, the, there's nobody serious. Okay, no, not me either. That's cool. Not even in high school. But the really good cologne or the really good perfume, the quality stuff, like, like sticks and it, and, it, and it lingers for longer, especially if like back then, you, you don't take a shower. And Jesus just had 30 grand worth of perfume 
poured on top of him. And it's Tuesday. His last supper is Thursday. He suffers and dies on Friday. He's buried after. What, what I just like picture in this story is that that whole week, the holy week, he walks around, he hangs on the cross, smelling deeply of the perfume that she just poured on top of him, that she just broke and poured. Jesus is going like, listen, you own you're broken, you share you're broken, but you don't understand what I can do with your broken. Do you understand, church and people and all of us who are broken, that when we do that and God takes those things, is that he can do so much, infinitely more than we could ever even dare ask or imagine. God is saying like, you own and share your broken, and God could glory in that broken so much so that thousands and thousands of years later, people are still gonna be talking and people will still remember the scent of the woman who broke and poured that day. And this is just the story that God tells again and again, so often in scripture. So often, God takes the, the broken and he says, you've got broken pieces, that's fine. Because there's power in the broken. Because I show up in the broken. God, God takes a guy like Moses who's got a nasty temper. And, and, and the temper leads him to murder an Egyptian. The temper leads him to after a one-on-one -on -one with God on the mountain, coming down from the mountain, taking the stone tablets that God himself just carved into. He sees the people and Moses gets so angry, loses his temper, smashes the tablets. And God has to go, you know, make new ones now. But, but later in Deuteronomy, God, God is writing and he goes, no, no, Moses, over his lifetime, with God's help, no doubt, became the most humble man who ever lived. Gideon is a guy who's so afraid uh, fearful, as low self-esteem. He is threshing wheat in, uh, in underground in a wine press. Wind was critical to the entire process. He's underground because he's afraid. This angel shows up and says, Hail, mighty warrior. I think you might have the wrong guy. No, no. Uh, that was uh, more of an aspirational language that God would eventually have him live into about what God would eventually do with Gideon. Throughout Scripture, the, but, but Peter was this kind of like a like flippant, temperamental, weak-willed kind of guy. And yet God takes Peter and says, no, no, no uh, you may be flippant, temperamental, and weak-willed, but you are also my rock, the rock that I will build my church upon, Peter. John, who was very arrogantly lived under the, the label that one of the sons of thunder, and it's like, oh my goodness, what a terrible name. But, but John, throughout his whole life, maybe 60 years later, John is remembered as a disciple of love. God takes the broken. He fills it in with his glory. He does something with it. And time and time again around here, church, that I have seen, we have seen God show up in the broken and God display his radical glory in the broken. Stories of depression, of anxiety, of post-traumatic stress, recovery from pornography, grief, loss, despair, affairs, divorce, 
God continually shows up in those moments, power in those moments. It's where God is. It's where our area of most ministry effectiveness is, where we influence other people, not with our strength, but with our weakness, with our broken. I very casually shared with you a few minutes ago uh, that my father about 15 years ago or so uh, was diagnosed with skin cancer. The truth is, there's a lot more truth to that. Uh, it didn't look good for a while. In fact, there was a season when he was given an amount of time to live. It was before many people knew, including me. He was working as a probation parole officer at the time in downtown Grand Rapids which works with uh, returning citizens, people coming out of prison after serving long sentences. Uh, that population is a hardened one. Uh, parole officers are often just as hardened by the experiences. There's this one guy, right after he received the news from the doctor, who after serving a long sentence, was sharing that upon now getting released finally, the doctors told him that he has a terminal illness and to get his affairs in order. And he was so angry and, and, and bitter, not just at the system, but at everything. And, and, and at that moment, it was directed squarely at God. How could God allow that? What kind of like, what kind of awful being would do this? And then he looked right at my dad and he said, Martin, you don't understand. You don't understand what after my life has been taken from me and now, and now this, and now my life is literally going to be taken. You don't understand what it means to face death. And he said, actually, I do. If you could just imagine the picture that day, walking by his office and there's a prisoner and there's a P.O., and they're both weeping together. I'm proud to say that my dad was able to lead that man to Christ, and I think his eternity was changed as a result. There is power in the broken because that's where God shows up. Let's pray together. Gracious God, most of us in this room today we're too afraid to pray those simple two-letter words, break me. It's just too much. It could mean too much. It could mean loss. It could mean setbacks. God, according to our own definitions, it could mean defeat. God, a few of us today are seeing what's on the other side of that worldly defeat and an eternal glory. And a few of us are thinking maybe today, maybe this week, is when we'll step out and pray dangerously, break me. Spirit, I ask that you give courage to those people to keep on praying it, God, because there's not only power in those words, but you are in them. That's where you show up. 
And God, we pray that we're able to own our broken, to share our broken. And someday you will grace us with your glory in the broken. Amen.